Hello and welcome into a snowy feels like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb. And as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you handling uh, Snowmageddon 2022 over there? Just hoping it doesn't turn anything to anything like uh, what was it? Not last October, but the October before. Oh, you mean storm. the the October I had COVID and was locked in <laughs> my guest room with COVID during a once in a millennial ice storm. Yeah, that yes. one. That one was tough. Lost power for a long time, which I'm sure everybody in this in the Oklahoma yeah. area did. That just praying it's nothing like that. It doesn't look like it's going to be. Looks like it's just a. A little light snow, a little cute little snow. It's weird how like we get snow now and we get pretty snow. I, I'm not used to that in Oklahoma. It's usually just an utter mess. <laughs> yeah, it's normally ice. You can't leave. You can't do just, anything. Faucets or ex- pipes are exploding. But <laughs> It's uh, a nightmare, really, usually. It seems, not to jinx it, but it seems like we're going to be okay. You guys will probably know because this will come out tomorrow. So Yeah, right. Yeah, by then, I mean, shoot, we could, this could be freezing cold takes. I mean, literally literally freezing cold takes. We could uh, all be dead. Yeah, we really could be. So let's hope it doesn't come to that. Um, <laughs> Well, Dustin, I'm glad you're good, man. Uh, hope everybody out there staying safe as well, getting safe home uh, wherever you may be. Uh, if you're not dealing with snow, lucky you. It's uh, it's crazy down here. But, I mean, a, a ton to get to, and I, and I don't want to belabor it. But, I mean, let's let's start with the, the obviously disappointing thing first, and let's get it out of the way. Oklahoma State basketball just continues to confound and confuse me. Um, Dustin, you and I sat together at the – uh iowa state game where isaiah brockington went nuclear tyrese hunter looked amazing um you know one big thing about that game that i mentioned in in the in the podcast beforehand was iowa state's ability to score in a balanced manner with multiple people is something that concerned me they hadn't done it consistently but boy did they do it on wednesday night in gallagher iowa yeah, it was pretty wild, too. I know you and I sitting there got to kind of talk about a lot of this stuff during the game. But, you know, the first half, Iowa State has 34 points, and only six of them are in the paint. The way they were scoring just hit – I think they had four or five threes and just a lot of long twos, specifically from Brockington. I think he had like six field goals in the first half that he made. And I want to say most of them were long twos. It just seemed like kind of an anomaly for Iowa State. Like you mentioned, they haven't really been able to put something like that together consistently this season. But it was a really fun game to watch in the first half. And in the second half, the refs took over and made it pretty miserable. (laughs) They certainly did. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Good calls, bad calls. They were bad on both sides. Uh, Just a lot of calls. And it totally slogged the game down. They did make it miserable. And I I told you this early in the game, and then I ended up tweeting it. It It's like John Higgins gets a lot of credit for being a terrible ref, and it's all valid. But our boy Kip, the bald guy, I mean, it's every game. Every game is like that. And, um, you know, again, the call, some of them were warranted. I mean, you know, going back and looking at Avery's foul, you know, late in the game, you can't extend your arm. You, You can't do that. 
um, uh, the ref has to make a call there, but um, yeah, they, they absolutely, it was a hashtag ref show is what it was. <laughs> and Avery, you know, he goes off. I think some of the call-outs we had from the podcast before were, I think I said Keelan Boone was going to go off shooting threes. It, and I think it looked good said, early. Yeah. And I, I think we both said this was going to be an Avery Anderson game. We talked about, we talked about the 32% usage percentage from Bryce time a couple games ago. Avery with a 35.3 usage percentage. That's, I know we talked about the, the 32 being Cade Cunningham level. The 35, I think, is above Cade Cunningham level. And he was on fire from deep early on. I think he finished, what, five for 11? So yeah. still a great percentage. But he was just taking, he was taking good shots. Even a couple of them that were contested, they just looked pretty coming off of his hand. And you get Isaac Likely able to get some things going in the fast break, 16 fast break points from Oklahoma State. When they're able to do that, they're able to keep the game close. But, you know, Oklahoma State scored a lot in regulation. I want to say they were in the 70s, which, you know, we talked about if they can get if they can get above 65, they're in good shape. But yeah, they, just I, weren't, <laughs> they weren't able to they weren't able to pull it off. And, you know, that CSIG offensive goaltending at the end from you and I seats, we thought it was goaltending, but we had kind of a weird angle. And then that's what they kept the call in there. It didn't look like they had a lot of great angles to look at it from, but Boynton seemed to be okay with the call. And yeah, that's just a heartbreaker because he's got to be aggressive and go for that ball. Oh, no doubt about it. You, you, uh, you mentioned the thing I didn't want to mention. It was a really bad day for me to mention that 60 is the barometer because <laughs> we were at, everybody got to 60 with like eight minutes left in regulation. It was like, okay, well throw that theory out the window. I still stick to it because I mean, it, it looked pretty darn good against Florida, didn't it? I mean, it, I, yeah. It, we thought at the in the first half of that game, I thought 60's the number, and I, OSU didn't even get there. So we'll get to that Florida game here in a minute. But yeah, that was a heartbreaker. Honestly, it felt like a, um, a game Oklahoma State had to have, a game that they probably should have won. But I thought it was weird. Uh, I thought it was going to be a weird night. Whenever Caleb Grill loses the ball on the way up, catches it on the way down, and throws it over his head from three and makes it, that—that's <laughs> when I was like, "Oh dear, that, this is going to be one of those games." And then Brockington just goes nuts. Yeah, Grill was like five of seven, I think I saw from three. That's, when that's I was right. The stats earlier—that's absolutely wild. And, and then you see OSU, you know, they're, they're, they seem to be kind of hot early on, especially Avery, and then they end up twenty-nine percent from three they shot well from the free throw line they win the rebound battle they get out in the fast break turn it over quite a few times but you know you look at the box score 15 assists that's higher than their season average they just weren't you know weren't able to come away with the win and like you said Brockington going off and you've just gotta you just gotta cancel out some of those stupid fouls and crucial moments but overall I thought it was a great game I Appreciate you taking me. I had a fun time with you and your yeah, dad. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a good time and glad you got to come. You know, one thing I, I want to harp on a little bit before we move on to Florida. I mean, Iowa State, they, they have guys all over the floor that can score. I mean, Tristan and Aruna got zero, and that's that's shocking. He's one of their go-to guys. Gabe Kalsher with eight, Tyrese Hunter with 18, Isaiah Brockington with 26, George Condit with 10, and Caleb Grill with 15. I said that their balanced scoring attack – could pose issues for Oklahoma State. Dustin, without Avery Anderson's five threes, so you just take – he shot 11. Oklahoma State was two for 13 from three without Avery Anderson. Uh, and and beyond Avery, you had Isaac Likely with 13, Cissé with eight, Thompson with seven. I mean, that's just – 
that is never going to cut it. Never going it's to cut great. it. They, they got to get more. They got to get more from several people. They need they need Bryce Williams back. Oh, they need like him back so- on the offense spin. Not not that that's going to help a ton. Their three point percentage. I mean, he can he can get hot from out there, but just in general on the offensive end, they need somebody else to score. Yeah, and it you know it's I said Oklahoma State didn't even reach sixty. They got seventy two, but they couldn't play defense against Florida. So yeah, it's a it's a tough week. And you know, on the Florida game, I think it's a good good time to talk about it. I mean, the first half and second half, we're going to say things that seem obvious, but you just got to say them. Those two teams couldn't have looked any more different if you if you asked them to. It's like, play team basketball in the first half. Don't play team ball, basketball in the second half, and that's what you got. I honestly would maybe rather watch the Big 12 championship game again than watch <laughs> the second half of this Florida game. Yeah, I, I just listened that, to it on the radio. That's where I was at. I turned it off. That... <laughs> That is what, you know, and I love college basketball. I love Oklahoma State basketball. I also love the NBA, a big Thunder fan. And the second half of this game makes me just, you know, like I was like, I hate college basketball. It's what, it's, that game, Which isn't true. I don't hate college basketball. But at that moment, watching that game, I hated college basketball. And, and rightfully so, because it was atrocious. It was, it was turnover after turnover, missed free throws, missed shots. I mean, it, it was bad. And you heard Mike Boynton's press conference later in the week talking about pepperoni, talking about how, yes. you know, it's pizza. one guy's slice has two and the other guys may have six, but it's just the way the pizza was made. It's not necessarily slanted against you. Um, that points to me kind of the, what we've been talking about, about Caleb Boone, um, you know, so, some other guys that, you know, I, there's something going on. And I think the postseason ban, you know, we've we've kind of skirted around it. It's it's got to be a problem, right? It's got to be a problem. Um, and you know, one thing we didn't consider is how you know, with nothing to play for, do these guys just point themselves to the NBA and and do everything they can to position their draft status? Because I never considered that, but just the play on the court, the last you know, and I'm not even going to count Wednesday. You, you credit Iowa State, but Saturday was just night and day night and day it was it really was and the not just from those two games even I mean that's a great point but like you said first half to second half I mean they jumped out I think they went on an 11-0 run in the first half they had a 32 to 16 lead they had they I, had an 88 percent win probability at one point in the in that game yeah absolutely everything's going great nine assists in the first half you know we talked about their average has been around like 13 for most of the season nine assists in the first half they're getting out in the fast break they're moving the ball around it's looking great the the shooting you know still 32 percent from three it's not amazing or uh, sorry 44 percent for three so better than they have been Florida's with 32 my bad but in the second half one assists and Florida started to really, really ramp up their press. Yeah. But Mike Boynton talked about it in his postgame. They were pressing some in the first half, too. Oklahoma State was just moving the ball. And they just stopped doing that in the second half. It was it was so confusing to watch. Just really tough to see on both ends of the floor the Cowboys perform like that after how well they played in the first half. So Avery Anderson got 40 minutes against Iowa State. In this game, he got 21. I, it's just a little bit of an eyeball emoji right there. You wonder what's going on. Is, is, is that potentially what Boynton's talking about? 
you know, it, it's hard to not wonder who he's talking about there because not everybody on this roster is looking at the NBA in the future. They're just not. Um, so anyway, I hope they can write the ship. You hope it's tonight against Kansas state against a good team and it, who's got a dynamic score and Nigel pack. I mean, you're really walking into a similar situation that you were last week. I don't think K-State has nearly the depth that Iowa State had, but they've definitely got a lead guy in, in yeah. Nigel Pack that, that could totally expose them. Yeah, and Boynton was really fired up after the game. I don't know if you, if you listened to his full presser. They had it on Pokes Report, the full thing. It's like 20 minutes long, but this quote at the end, kind of to go with your pizza quote from earlier, you get to go to K-State on Wednesday if you can help us win. That doesn't mean you're going to play below a shoot-around, and if you're going to be somebody that's there to help us win. But if you're getting your points and improving your, your stock as part of your thought process, then you don't get to travel with us to K-State. He was hot. Has anybody not traveled with them to K-State? I would be surprised if, we're, now that we haven't heard it. We're, what, an hour from the game? I haven't seen anything on Twitter. And, and just to apologize to everybody, we normally try not to – record yeah. on basketball night so we can talk about it but with early signing day which we'll get to later we had to we kind of had to record tonight yeah really kind of no way around it the way our schedule shook out so sorry about that um one thing that i'm interested is is bryce williams back i mean if he is the team changes i mean you get the ball out of avery's hands I, if, sorry you probably can hear my daughter knocking on the door around me but uh <laughs> it, it, hey that's just part of it that's just dad that's life. just podcasting that's just podcast dad life um but Anyway, you hope Bryce Williams is back. You hope that you can it's, get something out of Thompson. But I mean, at this point, it's just like, what's, I mean, where, where do you go from here? It sounded like Williams is feeling a little bit better. That was after the Florida game that Boynton was talking about it. It said, he said that he was coming along. So maybe we'll see him, maybe not. Maybe he holds him out another game. But again, Oklahoma State dominates in points in the paint 32 to 12. They had 22 fast break points, but they let Florida get 29. And then they turn it over 16 times and only force Florida into 11. So it's just a lot of stuff not going right for them in the second half. Like, like, like we mentioned the press, but you've got to be able to continue moving the ball around one assist and a half yeah. of power five college basketball is just, that can't happen. Yeah. I don't even want and to wasn't even a guard who got the assist. It was Moncrief. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. you're you're gutting me live on the podcast it's it's outrageous um i think we'll probably get to a little bit more in the listener questions portion of the show but you gotta go get a win tonight against kansas state i mean the the ship might start sinking uh if it doesn't i mean you got bedlam on saturday that that will be a great game just because it'll probably get the guys up because it's oklahoma but beyond that, like not every game's Oklahoma. So you, you really got to start stringing a couple together here. Uh, Dustin, any final thoughts before you get to something much more exciting, much more uh, joyful? No, we just need, a, need to get this win, come back super positive on the next podcast. That's, <laughs> That's our learning and takeaway. That's right. Or we don't, That's... Or we don't podcast. Our yeah, boys no, not going to let us podcast. Well, at some point, like if, if this keeps up, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm just going to take the week <laughs> off. You got this. You're not you, traveling. You, you bring your daughter on and uh, you guys got <laughs> it because I, I can't do it. <laughs> okay. Big, st- big story in Stillwater is not the basketball team. It's the hiring of Derek Mason as the defensive coordinator uh, at Oklahoma State. If you listen to the podcast last week, 
Uh, Dustin, at the time, there was no hiring, and we kind of hinted at the fact that this was probably coming, and, and look, at, look at the timing. We're really good at saying things before they happen. Yeah, j- just like everybody had heard the rumors, we, we, we got some info that it was probably going to happen soon, but Cade and I, we like to make sure we look good, so yeah. we didn't want to come out and say it was going to happen just in case it didn't, because then we, we look dumb. We so, caveat everything with this could exactly. change. We're Asterix. recording early. Yes. So we just went ahead and said, we went ahead and broke down everybody that we knew had kind of been in the mix, but yeah, Derek Mason, after resigning from Auburn, we talked about him making 1.5 million there. We haven't heard the contract details yet. I would guess it's somewhere in like the 1.4, 1.7 range. Woo. But apparently he's been in Stillwater since last Thursday. And I don't know about you, Cade, but I'm pretty fired up about the hire. Oh, I am too. 1.7. Could you imagine if it is 1.7? That, that would, would be, be wild. Pretty sick. Um, I I love the hire. When when his name got floated out there a couple of weeks ago, it was okay. Move him to the top of the list because I didn't know we were playing on that that level of field. I didn't know that that's the kind of guy you could go get. Um, and and now that they did, I think it probably recalibrates my outlook on on this upcoming football season. I I thought Oklahoma State was going to be a contender. I thought they were going to be right back, probably in Dallas. Now I'm 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 to the point where. You know, and, and we'll dive more into Mason, obviously, but his hiring and his ability to build a defense and to call plays, I think it's just going to do a, a, a great service to the roster that's already there. And he's a great fit. His system's a great fit. Your breakdown on Twitter was fantastic. And I couldn't help but but put Oklahoma State's players in those clips, try to think of how Derek Mason will will handle this roster. So I love it. I don't think they could have done any better, frankly, if that's the money they were going to spend. I mean, he was getting looks from the NFL. That's the kind of guy yeah. they just went and got. So, And you made a great point with, I believe Gundy's mindset was, let's go get a guy who's an experienced play caller. He can come in, even if, even if he may only stay two years, two, right. three years, and then move on to a head coaching job somewhere. There's too much talent. Come Even with all the guys that left, there's too much talent coming back on this defense. He was able to keep all of his position coaches, almost all of his position coaches. We saw a couple of guys leave with Knowles. But you've got to – he really wanted to have this experienced play caller come in, not a, not a first-time play caller. You know, Joe Bob's never called plays. He's right. been a run game coordinator at K-State. Tim Duffy hasn't called plays. Dan Hammerschmidt hasn't called plays. So that was the mindset – Use the talent you have with an experienced play caller. Keep as much of your staff continuity as you can and go out there with your experienced quarterback on the offensive side of the ball and your solid receiving core and go try to win the Big 12 title next year. And I'm completely fine with that mindset. And I love Derek Mason. You talked about, you know, we heard the rumor several weeks ago. I dove all in on watching film. You really did. (laughs) And I'm glad it ended up being him because I would have felt really stupid spending all that time. But I was able to watch about five. There's a guy on YouTube who clipped just the Auburn defense and offense separately, which makes it much easier to watch. Shout out to that guy. Shout out to that guy. I think his name's Do a Barrel Roll on on YouTube. But but, uh, he's awesome. So thank you for putting that out there. I was able to get some all 22 film from Auburn and then watched a few Vanderbilt games. And I just had an absolute blast watching his defense and what they were able to do. I I loved it too. I what's interesting to me, and I don't want to get too much into scheme. 
I, I wonder what he's going to do, you know, because I don't think he can apply exactly what he did at Auburn unless he poaches some guys, brings some in. I don't know how Oklahoma state's personnel currently holds up. You know, he meant, you mentioned in your thread, he does a little bit of three high safety at times. I don't know if, I don't know. I don't want to dive too deep into it uh, on this, on this podcast, but I'm curious to see how his system tweaks to the roster he has. There was a, you know, you mentioned this, a podcast. I want to credit who it is. I'll, I'll try to figure it out here in just a second, but Mason hasn't talked scheme with the players yet. So clearly yeah, there's the, probably uh, fifth year. Thank podcast. you. The fifth year podcast. Yeah. They interviewed trace Ford, but apparently they haven't talked scheme yet, which is very interesting because clearly there's some tinkering going on to try to make sure the scheme fits the roster they have currently. Yeah. And that's a great point to bring up Cade. The, from what I've heard and what I've read, I believe Pokes reports put this out as well. He's Mason's going to come in and use the terminology and the, the general base scheme that has been installed at Oklahoma state. Mm. So to not change anything too much up and he's going to kind of be the play caller and add his own tweaks. One of those tweaks I kind of put out on here. We, we saw Knowles do this, but he did in almost every Auburn game I watched, he went strictly two man, two down linemen, two stand up edges, which were like some off some outside linebacker defensive end hybrid. So think Colin Oliver. Yeah. Brock Martin, Trace Ford, Tyron Irby, those guys on the edge, and then a Brendan Evers and a Tyler Lacey maybe down in the two-down spot or a Sione C or somebody like that. So I think we see maybe more of that lineup than we've seen from the Knowles defenses of the past. Also in the LSU game, there was a lot of one hand in the ground, which we saw Knowles do a bunch and have yeah. Martin and Oliver on each side, either Lacey or Jernigan or somebody like that. So I think we'll see a lot of that. One thing that he did – that I know people are some people kind of replied to my thread on Twitter. They seem a little worried about he does off man coverage. Yeah. So instead of the cornerback being pressed up against the receiver on the line of scrimmage, able to kind of get his hands on him right away, they're playing about five, six yards off, but it's still man as opposed to normally you'd see off coverage with zone. It, it'll give up some of those quick slants, some of the quick RPO stuff you'll be able, offenses will be able to hit, but Mason preaches that top down coverage. He does not want to get beat over the top. However, that's what he was doing a lot at Vanderbilt. And you got to think, it's Vanderbilt. The guys he's recruiting at Vanderbilt to go against these SEC schools, he's going to have to play more zone, play more off man, because he doesn't have the dudes to play straight up man, cover one, cover zero. When he got to Auburn, you did see cover zero. You did see cover one. So you did see a lot more press. So I wouldn't I wouldn't get too worried about that. I, I still think we see a lot of press that we saw from these Knowles defenses in the past. So I don't think that's too much of a concern, but it's one thing that really kind of stood out to me as a major difference from the Knowles defenses. It's, it's a fantastic breakdown. The, the one thing you, you nailed it where I was kind of going that top down approach with the off man uh, coverage, it's interesting. And it's probably it's going to look a lot different than I think what we're used to. Um, so I'm excited to see how that happens. You know, I was also thinking about, I like to think of it in the way that big 12 has kind of evolved. The quarterback play is not as great in this conference as it used to be. I think you can get away with that type of coverage, that type of style better than you maybe used to have been able to. I know the big, I know the quarterback plays still fine, but I mean, there's, there's not a Baker Mayfield walking around who, who can hit every quick slant, 
ever thrown at him muscle memory. There's, I mean, there's not a Bryce Petty. There's not all these guys walking around anymore. So I can see how that style works now in, in this conference. Yeah. And the other, the other really great thing about Mason to just kind of talking about styles defense, he's so multiple. You're going to read everything. You, every article you see about Mason is going to mention three, four, because that's what he was known for at Stanford in that 20, 11, 2012, I believe he was there. Yeah, 2011 to 2013, he was the co-DC in 2011 and then the the standalone DC for 2012 and 2013. That 3-4 defense, his defense was able to stop Oregon. You've got the NFL coaches coming to Stanford to learn from him so they can stop the RG3s, the Russell Wilsons, the Colin Kaepernicks back at that time. So that's kind of how he became known. But that is not what he did at Vanderbilt and at Auburn. Like I talked about, he was – primarily two down linemen as opposed to three at Auburn. And then at Vanderbilt, I put out one clip where it just showed all the different defensive fronts he ran. You see four, you see three, you see one, you see two, all different types of things. He's putting his linebackers up near the line of scrimmage, which we've seen Knowles do at times. He's dropping them back. So I think, I think, I don't think it'll look as different on, on film next year as some people think it might. I don't think it's going to be a complete overhaul in the scheme we got one question um on twitter i believe it was from sorry bad podcasting let me just find it really quick you're good this, this is the length we go to to give our our sources credit <laughs> from uh matt hillis sorry at matt underscore hillis 13 was asking if if we think we see more of kind of like a stand up linebacker as opposed to an edge like so more, more three strictly three down and I think it's going to look a lot similar to what Knowles was doing I think there's going to be almost a different front every single play I think there'll be a lot of three down a lot of two down but you'll see the one you, you may even see some four down which you haven't seen a lot from Knowles defenses but I think it'll kind of mix everything up and I, just overall I just think it's a I think it's a great hire I'm interested to see how he uses his third safety, which we kind of talked about. At Auburn, they listed on their depth chart as a star position, which a star is normally a linebacker defensive back hybrid. The guys they have listed there are like six between 6'3, six, 6'5, six, 230, 240 pounds, <laughs> linebacker style guys. But you get into the film watching Auburn and they're actually putting Zion Puckett there, mm. who's another who's actually Smoke Monday, their free safety. He's his backup, six foot. 205 pound guy so he was using a third safety so you see that star position you're like oh he's gonna have to completely change the scheme but no he was using the third safety like Knowles was so I think we see you know a Kendall Daniels maybe in that oh man a bigger guy which someone brought up on Twitter as well so I think that would be uh I think that's going to be interesting to watch kind of how that works out but overall I think the scheme I think it's going to look pretty similar and I think it's going to be fun to watch I think so too. How does his aggression in terms of, you kind of hit on this a little bit, but I want to dive into, I mean, Knowles was, you know, the riverboat gambler on defense. I mean, he was the way people used to think about Mike Gundy on offense. They, they kind of talked about Jim Knowles the same way, you know, all the mad scientist accolades and nicknames they gave him. How did, how does Mason's aggressiveness and play calling uh, strategy, how does that compare? Yeah. So I guess one major difference is, when you think about the defensive front, there's there's kind of different ways you can attack. You can have your edge players, those defensive ends or those stand-up outside linebackers, kind of set the edge, try to funnel things back inside. Or if you're able to kind of bring your safety down 
use him in the run game to fit one of the gaps. You can spill things outside to that safety to those linebackers coming around the edge and get, we we've even seen the first time Oklahoma state played Baylor last year, the cornerbacks get really involved in kind of attacking the perimeter when the ball spilled outside. So Knowles was more of kind of a kill and spill. He wanted to get the ball spilled to the outside, let those safeties, let those linebackers attack them out there. Whereas Mason is looking for his edge guys to kind of funnel the ball back inside. And he wants his inside linebackers to do a lot of the work. So I put a video about that on film to kind of show some examples of that. Again, I could see that philosophy changing, morphing. I don't think Mason's set on anything. We haven't gone through his pedigree yet. I'm sure we'll hit it in a minute, but he's been all over the place. He can, he's been able to learn and adapt. In terms of blitzes, we see a lot of simulated pressures. What that, what that looks like is we talked about a lot, that a lot before the Baylor games last year, but basically he'll look like he's bringing six, seven guys up at the line of scrimmage and then only four will rush. The other guys will all drop back into coverage. Or he'll have one middle linebacker up near the line of scrimmage looking like he's going to blitz. He'll drop and a safety will come from the other side. So kind of a, we'll call that like creepers, another simulated pressure. But he has guys blitz from all over. He likes to bring five. I saw a lot of him bringing five, but he's pretty much, even if he only has three down linemen, he's pretty much always bringing four guys after the quarterback. And on third down, he gets crazy, just like Knowles did. He'll show, you know, all out cover zero on third and 12 and then drop guys off or sometimes send them. So it, it was fun to watch. I put a video up of him of strictly third down situations. I think it was like a minute and a half long. So you get to see like four or five different plays in there. But that was one thing that really popped on me, his aggressive aggression on third down. That's a it's a fantastic breakdown, Dustin. I, I can't wait to see what he does. I don't know if you can carbon copy the same scheme, but maybe you can. Kendall Daniels, I can't wait to see him on the field. We haven't we haven't seen him. I think he could unlock a lot in that scheme, just as you were talking about. I'm excited to see what an Aiden Kelly, I mean, we, we were kind of talking about this, you know, off air, what that interior defensive line looks like. Brennan Evers, Sionia C. I mean, that's, that defensive line is going to be as good a defensive line as, as Oklahoma State's had. Maybe, maybe yeah. ever. Yeah. And people are, you know, people are worried about the Jernigans leaving and the Israel Antoines, but I think they've got some guys we haven't seen yet. Like you mentioned, Kelly, we haven't seen Warren Clay. People are referring to him now as Warren Clay's brother, Colin Clay, <laughs> from Arkansas. There's some guys, uh, Toa Hulamaka, which I, I know I said that wrong, but he's he's been in the program for a while, and he's gotten snaps, so he can come in there. And the guys you mentioned, but, Cade, one thing I wanted to hit, though, before, and we can, we can stay on Mason because I wanted to run through a couple more things on him, but I just didn't want to forget to mention this. Joe Bob Clements oh. moving – from defensive line to coaching linebackers. I believe Polk's report was the first to report that. He's never coached linebackers. He played DN at K-State. He coached defensive line at K-State. He was run game coordinator there. First time to kind of move to a different position group. And then Greg Richmond, who'd been kind of helping him with the defensive line, who is, I've heard, a monster in the recruiting room, yep. is now fully taking over the defensive line. And then you've got Tim Duffy still with the corners, Hammer with the safeties, and then Mason is going to be the DC and he's his, you know, pedigree is with cornerbacks. His history is with cornerbacks. He played cornerback at Northern Arizona. So he'll probably help out with them a little bit. What, what was your take on Joe Bob moving? I'm glad you, I'm spot? glad you brought this up. I, fa- I found it interesting. My one thing I'm, I'm thankful for is that Joe Bob stuck around. I think it says a lot about the program in general, that those three guys who probably did interview for this job didn't get it. 
and they still stick around and and you know kudos to joe bob not only sticking around being comfortable with a change in position like in position group to a position group that you've never coached before i i think joe bob's a great coach he seems to be a great recruiter as well and a great developer of talent um i mean colin oliver is is a fantastic example of that comes in in a junior day gets an offer and then two years later is, is an All-American, a great developer of talent. You can There's countless examples of that. So I'm, one, thankful he stuck around, and two, I'm, I'm interested to see what he does, especially if Derek Mason likes some bigger linebackers. I mean, you, you could see a, a kind of change in, in style of recruiting at that position group. So I'm interested to see what happens. There, there's a lot that could go. And I think it'll, I think it'll flow pretty well at practice. You know, if you've got, if you've got your Colin Oliver's who you just mentioned, your Trace Ford, your Brock Martins in that, which they've been in the Leo position is a defensive end linebacker hybrid. So if you're going more two down linemen, which maybe they won't, but that's what, what Mason has done. And we saw Knowles do it too. So it wouldn't be foreign. Then you kind of got Joe Bob and Richmond who've worked together already with the defensive line, they right. know they can work well together. They're working with the linebackers and defensive line kind of as a whole group. If you're only playing two down defensive linemen. So I think it'll flow pretty well together. And then also Bryce, Bryce Lewis from Auburn. He was one of Mason's cornerbacks at Vanderbilt. He's I think the only guy that Mason brought over. So he's going to come in and I'm sure help with the defensive backs and be kind of involved. I, I think he's taking a quality control coach role. I'm not, I didn't actually write that down, so I'm not 100% sure, but he was a grad assistant. He followed him to Auburn as a defensive analyst, and now he's coming to Oklahoma State. So that'll be cool. Mason will have a familiar face with him to kind of help him along there. But, um, yeah, I just – I don't have a lot more to say on the scheme that I didn't put out on Twitter or didn't say here. But overall, I just – it's from all the stories you read, you know, you saw the – I don't know if you saw the Tulsa War, World I did. story by Eli I did. Letterman, you know, with him – him having that bond with uh, one of his players at Vanderbilt who ended up passing away from cancer just, just seems like a great guy. I told you, I watched the coaching clinic where really all he talked about, it wasn't scheme. It was all fundamentals, eye progression, the drills he goes through. And you could tell he really cared about teaching these high school and smaller college coaches about the game and about how to coach players and not focus so much on, Hey, four, two, five, three, four. So he's, He's awesome. He's fun to watch. You know, you've seen the you've seen the videos of him getting super hyped up before yeah. games or at halftime or after games. So I think he's going to be fun. I think the players are going to really gravitate to him because it seems like they have at every other stop he's been to. And then it's always cool to have a guy that's been in the NFL when you're a player, you know, you can, you know, it's kind of like a shock and all thing with, oh man, that guy's coaching the NFL. So that's, that's kind of cool too. Well, the thing about him and you kind of touched on it earlier Talking about his pedigree, I mean, anytime you can get a six-year SEC head coach to come coach your defense, I think he'll take that. He's seen a lot of football. He's done a lot more before then and after that. He's coached uh, on the offensive side. <laughs> that's pretty Receivers amazing. Receivers and running backs. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a, a true football guy. But, I mean, took Vanderbilt to two six-win seasons and a five-win season, which on the surface doesn't sound like much. It's much when you're Vanderbilt. So Yeah, I think they've only been to like – eight or nine bowl games ever. And he took them to two of them. Franklin took them to like three. So there's five of them right there. That's pretty amazing. And then, you know, it's, I, I think they couldn't have done better in my mind. And you go back, he's, he's been a lot of places. I mean, he was the defensive coordinator at Stanford when Oklahoma state played them in the Fiesta bowl. 
uh, defensive coordinator at Auburn, actually, but, you know, spent some time in the NFL with the Vikings. Um, so he's he's been and seen – he's been a lot of places and seen a lot of different styles of football to where I think the transition to the Big 12 is going to be no problem for him. I 100% agree, and he's worked with some big-time coaches throughout that career that he's learned I mean, from. Jim Harbaugh is one of them. David Just, Shaw. Yep. You know, he's, he's been, he's been all over and I wouldn't, I wouldn't think twice if you're worried at all about how he left Auburn, because you've seen what's happening at Auburn now. And Brian Harson, the offensive coordinator just stepped down for personal reasons. You have the whole Harson promoting the guy he brought with him, Schmetting that he brought with him from Boise state up from linebackers to DC right after, right after Mason left. So it just seems like some sketchy stuff is going on over there. He's, He's run through some coordinators already. He hadn't even been there very long. So I don't think you should take that into account at all. I think Mason seems seems like a great guy, seems like a fun guy, and I think he's going to do well in Stillwater, whether he's here for one year or five or six. If you're setting it at three, I'll take the under, but I think it's it's a good thing. I think I think Oklahoma State's going to come out on top. Whatever happens, they're, they're going to get a good deal here with Derek Mason and you know, if, if somebody hires him, that's that's okay. That means he did a good job. I think yeah, he should be that okay. means we had a good defense. <laughs> I think you should be okay with that. You know, Derek Mason probably has aspirations to get back to being a head coach at some point. But I mean, it's a it's a huge deal. It's a it's a new step for Oklahoma State. We've had a couple of questions in the past about, you know, what does Gundy mean by you know taking that next step as a program? I think you just saw it in action you know whatever the salary ends up being it's going to be the most they've ever paid a defensive coordinator so i think that's what he means um and and i can't wait to see what happens i mean he's got as much talent as there's ever been on the defensive side of the ball you know again there remains a question of what's going to be available in the transfer portal do you have space to bring somebody in the transfer portal that's that's the big question and if you don't I think the roster is still in a fantastic spot defensively but you could potentially even shape it up a little bit more if they yeah. just break the right way. I 100% agree. I, all around, I think it's a home run hire. I think uh, if you think it's a bad hire, just maybe maybe rethink. Check yourself. Check yourself yeah, a just maybe re- I'm not going to be rude, but maybe just rethink. Maybe maybe message me. We'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, d- DM both of us, and uh, we'll, we'll meet you at Outlaws. Um, all right, <laughs> Dustin, any final things uh, on Derek Mason before we move on? I, I don't want to skirt past it, but. No, I mean, we hyped him up so much maybe he could come on the podcast you know hey if anybody knows him anybody knows a way to get to him i mean you let him know we're big i mean fans. i'll troll him <laughs> we have a brand we have a brand to uphold dustin <laughs> i'll go i'll go find him right now okay you do that let me know how it goes and uh, if he's ready to come on we'll talk to him next week all right well dustin thanks for that breakdown i mean he's He's going to be a fantastic fit. I can't wait to see what happens. Um, before we move on, we've obviously got signing day to get to some transfer portal news and listener questions. Before we move on, let's go ahead and take a break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. All right, guys, listen up. Sponsor on the podcast, Homefield Apparel, is absolutely crushing it. If you haven't checked them out yet, you absolutely need to. I mean, they are leading the charge in premium vintage collegiate apparel right now. Uh, I mean, they are offering vintage college sports t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies with over a hundred schools available. And I mean, they're adding new ones all the time. This is the perfect gift 
uh, home field apparel for the sports fan, for the college sports fan. You got to go check them out and use our promo code FEELS12 to get 15% off your first order. And of course, all orders over $100 get free shipping as always. Promo code FEELS12, 15% off your first order, and all orders over $100 get free shipping at Home Field Apparel. Visit them at homefieldapparel.com. Okay, Dustin, if you do you still celebrate National Signing Day on on February 4th every year? Or is that <laughs> is that dead? I think for Oklahoma State, it just seems like most of their guys are getting signed in the early signing period in December. So they had 17 signed in December. They got three today. But yes, I, I I celebrated on what was it, December 15th? Yeah. That's when I try to celebrate. It's funny. My, I remember. my family, me and mine celebrated on December 15th. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like Thanksgiving. I, I love yeah. that. I figured it would be, uh, but I did I didn't want to ask, frankly. Um, <laughs> an eventful day, honestly. There there were some commitments that came down to the wire. One in particular we had had heard about a little bit of smoke there for a little while um, in, a, in a defensive tackle uh, transferring from Snow College by way of BYU. Uh, Saleti Faveliaki is what I'm going to go with. I think that was I, all right. I think that was great. Okay, thank yes. you. I appreciate that. Um, this is – and there's two others that we'll get to. Dustin, this is the one I'm most intrigued by. Yeah. I, I think – the talent that you're getting there, the experience, I think it it's one of the more intriguing commitments they have in this entire class to me, I think. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Like you said, Snow College guy. So Oklahoma State has gotten multiple guys from Snow Was, College. Sionia C. Yeah. Nathan Latou. Jalen Warren played at Snow yeah, before yeah. Utah State. Um, you've, got, you've got Benny Tonga, who – coached there previously I believe he was an assistant there from 2010 to 2013 then he came to Oklahoma State so Tonga has really got a pipeline from Snow College and everybody that's come has been solid recently you know a no great. Jalen Warren has been amazing Nathan Latou when he when we've seen him he's looked good so I, I think I think Saletti is going to be great he's a three-star he had offers from Indiana Missouri Nebraska Utah State Murray State. He's going to have three years of eligibility remaining, I believe. Defensive tackle, 6'2", 280 pounds. And Kate, who I watched this huddle tape, you know, I'm obviously going to, we're going to do a full breakdown we've talked about later on in the kind of dead period after basketball on all these guys. But Snow looked to play more of a three down look and he was kind of that defensive end spot. So lining up in a five tech, four eye, four tech, even saw him in some three. But what he what stuck out to me is the, his ability to kind of speed and swim move past the offensive lineman, and his size almost exactly the same as Jaden Jernigan. This is your Jaden Jernigan plug and play guy, right here. I, I love that. And if he is plug and play, then I think that's I mean that's a huge deal for Oklahoma State. They they do need depth at that interior defensive tackle spot. If if he can put the weight on, is that where you think that that he ends up? I think he could be. I think he may maybe maybe gain about 10 pounds, but kid, I don't know how don't much he's he needs to put up. This might be his size. He's 22 years old. Yeah, that, that's what I read. And he's got three years of eligibility left. Yeah, that's so why he took he took his church mission for two years. That's why he's a little bit older than gotcha. he's at BYU and then snow. So I, I've seen him listed at also at like 6'3, 285. So if he's anywhere, but 
you know, Jernigan's listed at six one two ninety. But you're right. If he could, if he is six, well, he may not. Maybe, he may not need it. He may not need it. Frankly, it, if he is really six three two ninety, then maybe you even maybe you can even move him into that Sionia C spot sometimes too. So you this could, is, he looks fast enough to play the Tyler Lacey role as well, right. all over the D line. This is the thing about trying to get measurables online these days. I had him at 270. So if he's 290, if he's 280, I think he's a great fit in that spot. And if you look at his tape, he's got kind of violent hands. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's not afraid to get in there and he's, I mean, just dominant with the swim move. It's really what he kind of goes to. And he's just kind of a bull rusher. He's he's fantastic in that regard. And is it really like his huddle tape jumps out to me. Like, I, I can't wait to see what he does. He fits he, yeah, he fits Noel's scheme perfectly. And if that looks any similar to Mason's scheme, I think he's a great fit. Yeah, I could tell from that huddle tape, Snow was doing some read and react to gap stuff. And you know, that's what Mason's right. kind of always done with his defensive linemen. So it should, it should fit well. You're right. Like he may be a little undersized, but I think he just looks strong. And he does. this isn't him pushing around high school guys. He's pushing around junior college guys, which obviously is a step up from there. So we'll see. But he he's had the experience in the three-man front. I think he could be your situational kind of like Jernigan, the guy you put in when you know it's a pass rush and he's able to get back to the quarterback. So I think you see him kind of mixing in with Xavier Ross there. And I think he's a guy that could play next year, man. I hope that's the case. I think so too. And I think it's a, it's a position of need. So I, I totally agree with you. I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I, I don't know now that they've got him locked up. I, and we've already kind of talked about this before, unless they see a defensive lineman in the portal that they absolutely love. I don't think they take anybody. I think that's it. Don't you? I, mean, I, I think they, I think they really need to save the spots for offensive line. And I think they still maybe want to take a running back maybe. And, and like you've talked about, you pointed out maybe even an experienced corner, maybe even an experienced wide receiver to come in. I don't think those are positions of huge need by any means, but to fill some depth. So I think this is your guy to come in on the D line. Yeah. And I, I like it. I, I like the pedigree. I like the film. I, I can see why they, went with him um and to me he does he does fill a gap um that was in my mind you know defensive tackle was one that i had circled again i say this every week after talking to our buddy adam once like okay that's they got to address that and with three years <laughs> of eligibility that's a pretty darn good coup for oklahoma state so big deal yeah. there um yeah, i completely agree beyond him stefan johnson uh, another pretty big pickup here, former Oregon commit, Oregon signee, I think. Don't, I may be wrong yes. on that. but <laughs> Another guy who I have no idea what his hide and weight are because I've seen <laughs> six foot and I've seen six three. Here, I'll break it down. He's lanky. <laughs> he, he looks taller than six foot on the film. So totally. he's a three-star wide receiver from DeSoto, Texas, DeSoto High School. Um, Oklahoma State has gotten a bunch of guys from DeSoto as well. I AJ believe, Green. Uh, yeah, AJ Green was from there. I believe there's was it Muhammad? Yeah, Jabbar Muhammad also. Who is AJ Chris Green's Lacey cousin? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of the Soto guys, another good pipeline for them. But yes, you're right. So he decommitted from Oregon. Obviously, Mario Cristobal left to go to Miami. He de decommitted from Oregon in January. Oklahoma State had offered him when he was committed to Oregon. Um, but obviously he stuck with them until I think it was January 5th, left. It was between SMU and Oklahoma State is what what he kind of tweeted out, I think, yesterday with the picture of him in both 
in both uh, uniforms. And then he went with Oklahoma State today. And I think it's a huge pickup. This is a guy that had offers from Arizona State, Arkansas, Houston, Maryland, Ole Miss, Oregon, obviously, Penn State, USC, Virginia, SMU. He's a guy that obviously you, you see from his picture – Love to get on the horse at the recruiting visit. I love when the guys do that, put the cowboy hat on. Everything. Somebody asked hat. us about that. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. Yeah, the athletic <laughs> putting that out. So that's really funny. But, yeah, we'll get to that. But on on film, so DeSoto ran a lot of 10 and 11 personnel. He lined up outside. He lined up in the slot. The thing that really stood, stood out to me about him, he's a really good route runner. You don't say that a lot with high school guys. He's a really good route runner. And when he gets the ball in open state in open space, he made some guys look silly. Those were my two observations too. I didn't think like straight line speed. He was a blazer by any means, but in the open field, he is elusive and he, he looks tough to bring down. He made a couple of moves that were um, things. You don't see a six, two, six, three kind of wide receiver. If he's that tall it, things that he, he does. So um I love the pickup there. I, I loved what you said about route running because in his huddle tape, there's a double movie puts on somebody that's, that's Tay Martin esque. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of the comp that I have when you think of route running elusiveness in the open field, Tay Martin, maybe a little bit of Dylan stoner too. Like they, yeah, he ran they, a variety of route, like the, the, the double move you talked about, then just the straight go, there were posts, slants, hitches, they move them inside that jerk route that prep that we've seen Presley run. Yeah. The inside route. So it, and I mean, they handed it off to him on the reverse. It was, yeah. it was fun to watch. Yeah. I can't wait to see where he fits in this coming year. I mean, you know, John Paul Richardson looks like he's got that position kind of locked down, but there is a question mark on the other side. So, um, but all reviews are that Taylor Shetford is a real deal. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, wide receiver depth doesn't hurt you. And I mean, to bring in a kid of that caliber with the depth you already have says a lot about how kids want to play at Oklahoma state. They want to play wide receiver at Oklahoma state. Yeah. I don't think he's a, like we talked about with Saletti. I don't think he's a guy that comes in next year and plays like you kind of alluded to. No, I don't to, think so either down the road. I think he's going to be a good player. Yeah. I mean, he was signed with Oregon. I think you'll take a kid like that any day. <laughs> yes. hundred percent. All right, Dustin. I think we had one more commit today. Uh, whose name I'm trying to pull up here. We've, we've done this like three times today. Da David Davis Dotson. Thank you. Thank offensive you. tackle yep. the, i think he's six six that seems to be the consensus six 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 nine six three we'll never know <laughs> around like 290 but uh barry hill high school tulsa guy there uh, in his huddle tape he played some right tackle but primarily at left tackle and this guy Cade, this is the adam Lunt special he's talked about it before <laughs> i believe he talked about it on our podcast and we talked about i think it was kawecki maybe but Oklahoma State likes to go after these guys that play tackle in high school, but they're maybe a little bit kind of skinnier, but super, super athletic and just kind of see what they can morph them into on the offensive line. And I think Dotson is the prototype for that analysis from Lunt. I don't think he's a guy. I think he's a guy that maybe takes two, three years to even get on the field. But when he does, he has the athleticism to get to the second level to pull to move with a fast, like those, these edge rushers these days, you know, Gundy talks about it all the time, so fast off the line. And we saw Oklahoma State's tackle struggle with that some last year. This is the guy who, if he can put the weight on and yep. keep his speed and athleticism, he can keep up 
and get in front of those type of players. And and he is strong for his size as well. There's, oh, yeah. there's several examples of him keeping his pads low. And it's very like textbook, you know, offensive line work, if, if I even know what that looks like. But it's <laughs> it's very impressive, his film for, you know, the caliber, quote unquote, recruit he was. Uh, I, I think a great pickup. I can see why they did it. And Austin Kowicki is a fantastic cop. So nice job on that. Yeah. And he, thank you. And his recruiting, his senior year really picked up. You got Arizona state, Iowa state, Syracuse, TCU, Texas tech, Washington state. Some big schools kind of came in the mix there at the end. Before it was kind of your Arkansas states, UNLV, New Mexico, but got some big power five schools there at the end. And I think it's a big pickup. You're going to forget his name probably because he's not going to play right away, but I, Again, I think this is another guy who has the a really high ceiling, really high ceiling. You'll take O-line depth any way you can get it. And uh, he said it's a dream come true to play at Oklahoma State. So that's pretty cool. Yes, you do love that. Kate, I know we, I know we cleared all three of those guys. I did want to mention we had some confusion on the early enrollees. Okay. So I believe it is 10. It's either 9 or 10, but it's not the 11 we mentioned on the podcast with Blunt. So <laughs> – it's Garrett Rangel, C.J. Brown, Taylor Shetron, Tabry Shetron, Landon Dean, Gabe Brown, Dylan McKinney, Tyrone Weber, and Xavier Benson are all for sure on campus. And then Ollie Gordon, we mentioned, is the maybe 10th because he sounds like there's some issues with kind of getting him fully enrolled and everything. But I believe Mason Gilkey was supposed to enroll early and they may have just not had enough spots to bring him in in the spring. So maybe he has to wait until the fall. But that seems to be who is locked in now the ollie gordon thing just it, it makes me lose sleep at night i mean i know <laughs> it's all good i know it's all good but is it is it all good <laughs> who knows but also the what what did you think what do you think about the, all the influx of uh preferred walk-ons this week yeah BWS? it's my favorite week of the year when <laughs> when i see commitment after commitment i'm like oh, wait whoa, whoa, whoa. what are we talking about here you the we guy from bama we, we don't have the space <laughs> We do not have the, oh, right, 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 right. It's preferred walk-on week. That's right. I do like it. I always like, especially when, like, you can kind of pick the one or two that may end up getting on scholarship at some point in, the, in their careers. Um, I think it's cool. I think I think the walk-on thing is admirable. I think that's awesome. Yeah, so do I. And they they just recently, before the podcast, uh, got a commitment from a PWO, a big quarterback from Hooker, Oklahoma, 6'5", hey. 220 pounds. They like their big quarterbacks as preferred walk-ons. There was a kid from Berryhill a couple years ago. Um, maybe you remember better than me. I know his first name was Nick. Um, but anyway, he was a preferred walk-on, and he was similar frame, like 6'6", 6'7", even. So. Yeah, if you're going to take a preferred walk-on, just take the biggest ones you can find. <laughs> Right. That's my fault. Speaking of big quarterbacks, now that we've wrapped that up, Shane Illingworth, our boy. Transfer portal time? Are we going yeah, to the portal? I think, I think we're going to the portal. Let's and make this is where portal. This is where I would hit your jingle if you had sponsored it. Uh, I mean, it would have been all like fancy we the, music. We need Mario going down. Yeah, like the tube. Yeah, that's the noise we need. I'm going to cut that. I can't believe I just did that out loud. Um, but beyond that, I mean, let's start, let's start with Shane. I mean, going to Nevada, that seems like a pretty good fit. Yeah, it does. I, it sounds like he was getting interest from a lot of places and he liked the fit and Nevada liked the fit. So he went with them. Maybe we see him on the field soon and I wish him all the best. I, I loved watching Shane play. I just didn't think he was a great fit for a backup for Spencer Sanders. They're com 
completely different quarterbacks, but maybe he can do well at Nevada. I haven't really watched much Nevada recently, but I probably will now. Yeah. I, I hope he gets some playing time. I think it was cool that he stuck around as long as he did being a high caliber recruit, high caliber quarterback recruit, just not a great fit for the system as, as you mentioned. And even the way the system has evolved over the last couple of years, it just became pretty clear that that wasn't going to work out. Um, you know, and, and all the best to him for sure. Yeah, completely agree. What, what'd you think about literally, right? We say it on the podcast and then the next day, Jarp and our converse. We were on fire with, with two, two, like saying it might happen, but we just don't know yet. And the, and it did. The guy, to, to be fair, the guy, you know, I follow LSU since both my parents went to school there and I, I grew up in Baton Rouge, but the guy who put that out, that note on 247, it was in their little VIP section. He doesn't normally do that unless he's right. So I, I knew it was probably a for sure thing. And then it happens the next day. But I saw Polk's report reporting that there may have been some phone calls to Converse a little early before he was fully in the portal. That that was a little shocking to me. I, I don't know the validity of any of that. It didn't sound like they were saying it was 100% true, but that that's where you get – that's where the transfer portal stuff gets a little. Yeah, don't dicey. get me started on the transfer portal. You heard Lincoln <laughs> Riley talking about we needed guardrails, sir. You invented tampering, so <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I think it's. I think the portal is great for that student athlete, but I don't don't get me started because the tampering is a huge problem. And you know, you say that we don't know the validity of it. I, I mean, I bet we do, but we do know the validity <laughs> of it. Well, you know, I'm not. I don't love to say LSU was tampering. Now, if it was a different school, yeah, like no, you bring up Lincoln Riley. If it was OU, on the other hand, I yeah, for sure, we definitely know the validity of it. But yeah, uh, what's I'm, I'm gonna be interested though on to see if Jark plays. I just i I will be interested too. It, it's good. He's from Louisiana too, so yes. I mean, wants to get in the NFL. I'm not even I'm not even mad about it. It's great. I would would really never be mad about a transfer portal decision one way or another. But um, yeah, I, I hope it works out for him. Um, I think he'll play. Sorry. I mean, how much he plays. Yeah. Like, will he start? Like, wh- yes. where does he how Because he would have started here? Right. Right. He certainly would have and probably would have been in the NFL. But I mean, it's kind of like Tanner McAllister, like. I think the primary reasoning just from an outsider looking in total speculation it's got to be NFL draft positioning. I mean, an LSU corner versus an Oklahoma State corner, an Ohio State safety versus an Oklahoma State safety, to probably get you a little bit of bump in, in the NFL draft, you know, stock rankings. So, yeah, yeah no, I agree. You got me started on the transfer portal, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this really quickly. You had Lincoln Riley up here talking about, you know, Caleb Williams transferred to USC, obviously, earlier in the week. And I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Lincoln Riley talking about how you need guardrails in the transfer portal in college football. And I mean, literally invented tampering like like we've heard this. We've heard this. I'm sure you have, Dustin, but, um, you know, it's I think every coach is talking about how bad NIL is. And then turns around, you got AM today, you know, signing the best class of all time, but they're complaining about NIL. It's like, give me a freaking break. I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors <laughs> taking place right now. And everybody's trying to get a leg up. And it's just, it's just gross. There's a lot of snakes, snakes in the grass. No, I, the only reason I like the transfer portal is for you to get on your soapbox and talk about it. 
Yeah, and I even held back. Yeah, I no, even, I, I just we, said Lincoln Riley invented tampering, and that's me holding back. <laughs> no, we're going to do when we're in the basketball offseason, we will need stuff to talk about, which we still we're fun. Please give us ideas. But one episode can just be you talking to me about the transfer portal. I, don't I will have to say anything. I, <laughs> and I would love that. It's it's the man yells at at lamppost uh, meme. That's me with the transfer portal. <laughs> to to get off the transfer portal, Cade, real quick. Do you want yeah. to just kind of wrap up the Oklahoma State offers they have out right now? Yeah, I think it's great. Okay, Prince Pines. We talked about him. Sam Houston guy played at Baylor. Uh, played guard at Sam Houston. He's got two years of eligibility. It sounds like I know Mississippi State's in the mix. It sounds like he's not going to do anything until late May, early June. So. He's probably going to take some visits, probably going to kind of slow play it out. I know Colorado's been in the mix, even though they've signed some offensive linemen. I know Mississippi State's going after some other offensive linemen, but I think Oklahoma State's still in play. We just might not hear anything anytime soon, and he's not a guy that will be here for the spring. But since the last podcast, Oklahoma State offered two more offensive linemen, both guys from Middle Tennessee, that I think they entered the portal right after we recorded from what it looks like. Dorian Hinton and Lance Robinson. Dorian played left guard. He's a third-year redshirt. Or yeah, he's a third-year guy, I believe, for the Blue Raiders, 6'4", 317 pounds. Uh, he was Conference USA all-freshman team in 2020. And then along with him, Lance Robinson, like I said, he played in all 13 games last season. I saw him play left tackle and right tackle. I believe it looked like the I was able to watch a little bit of these guys since it happened so long ago, but I think it was two of the like FAU and Toledo game. He was left tackle. And then all the other games, it looked like he was playing right tackle, but he's got three years of eligible eligibility remaining. Both of them have picked up a lot of offers, but it seems like Oklahoma state is the biggest school for both of them. And definitely the biggest school that got in early. So I, I think we're going to get one, if not both of these guys, I have my money on Dorian Hinton, the guard. And that would be great to kind of shore up. He played left guard where we just lost Josh Sills. We we're hoping Cole Birmingham can slide over too. So I think any of those three guys would be great. One tackle, two guards, talented, experienced guys that can come over and kind of plug in your depth. Yeah, shoring up that interior offensive line. We've said it for, for weeks now that that's got to be a priority. And, and it appears that it is. You just got to go get somebody. So I hope it's one of those guys. Hope it's Prince Pines, but uh, we'll see who it is. I, I would take any of them at, at this point. Agreed. Great breakdown, Dustin. All right. Let's move it on. We we got 12 minutes until the Oklahoma State Cowboys tip off in a uh, riveting game in Manhattan, Kansas. So we've really got to – boy, we got to hurry up and get to watching that, don't we? Uh, all right. Dustin, I'm pulling these up here. We got several listener questions this week. So, number one, I know I've kind of railed on everybody the last couple of weeks. Thank you to the people who did send them in this week. We, we got tons. We got tons of them. So let's just let's not waste any time. Let's uh, let's get right to it. Hey guys, Philip Slavin here. Uh, the Athletic ran the story about Oklahoma State allowing recruits to ride a horse for a photo shoot. Uh, it's a pretty cool thing. I'm curious for both of you, what would you want from Oklahoma State aside from a bag of money <laughs> to get to during your recruiting visit that would lock you in as an Oklahoma State commit? Thanks, guys. Philip, thanks for the question, man. When you said it earlier, Dustin, I said we'd get to this, and I knew we had this question <laughs> in the bag. I would just want to keep the horse. That's really what yes. I would want. Yeah, I think for me, and Philip, thanks for the question. That's a great one. 
I think I'd want to make sure it was actually bullet. I've heard that it's a different horse. So if I'm riding a horse, it needs to be bullet. There's and another I horse. Also, I, that's, I thought that's, that's what I saw. I could be mistaken. I'd also like to try to ride BB. I'd want to ride the little cars that the children race in during the game, yes. like at the stoppage. I'd like to have all of those. They can buy more for the children if they want. Um, I'd like to be on the big screen, my face, just me during a field goal, like the Gary Busey thing. Yeah. During yeah. one game to attack. I know it's illegal now, but, and then probably, um, you know, just a weekend hanging out at Gundy's ranch with him and he can't like get annoyed with me. You that's you what all I would want. All of that. And you stopped at midfield helicopter landing for, for, you know, conference games. You, oh yeah yeah yes okay. that I'm, yes and also the game that i'd take my recruiting visit to no other recruits get to go to or if they're there they don't get to stand anywhere near me you're, you're like, kind of high maintenance you're kind of yeah, a, yeah, you're a yeah. blue chip recruit is what you are yeah i didn't get i didn't get many offers yeah you thought about this i can tell um yeah i just Every said day. i'd i'd keep the horse no I, I don't know i mean i i would want i would want sneakers i would want um i, I don't know i would want the horse i really think i would um, yeah. Philip, thanks Keep for the home. question, man. Uh, new listener question here from, from a, a new listener, I should have said. Uh, Alexander Smith. Hi, guys. This is Alex, North Carolina. Big fan of the show. Um, so I've got a couple of questions, so I'll fire them off. Um, first, basketball. The Florida loss was pretty depressing with how many point guards we have. I thought the one thing we could do was break a press. Um, <laughs> so do you think the main uh, source of our problems has been backcourt chemistry? Um, and in 2022-2023, uh, Ice Likely has his COVID eligibility year left. Um, is that something that you think that we will be wanting him to use and come back? In football, um, love the Twitter thread. Do you see Tyler Lacey and Brad Nevers as the two down defensive tackles and two down sets and four down sets? Um, are they big enough to hold up in the run game? Or is that something that we have to push out to Kelly or somebody else? And on the back end, um, what is our level with Thomas, our level of confidence with Thomas Harper? Um, uh, yeah, uh, he played a lot in the 2020 season. So love the show, guys, again. Thanks so much. Bye. Those were awesome questions. Those were. I mean, man, and all that, and you fit that in under a minute, Alex. Nice job, man. Nice job. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for Alex. thanks for calling in. Um, I'm going to try to remember all of them. I, I'll start with the basketball questions. I don't think backcourt chemistry is the is the issue. I think it's backcourt shot-making. That's that's the biggest issue, and I'll I'll harp on that until until it changes, and and maybe kind of what you alluded to earlier, and what Boynton talked about in his press conference when he was a little fired up. And honestly, if you listen to the press conference, he wasn't that fired up. He was just making these kind of intense statements. Yeah, but, but when he does that too, it's like you. It, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of that talking. It's to like him. when your it's like when your parent tells you they're not mad they're just disappointed that's how 100 100 and i yeah i hated that so but uh, what what kind of the point i was getting to there is the one assist and the not being able to break the press what alex what alex was talking about Boynton's talking about these guys have to be able to you know focus play as a team move the ball around not try to get theirs and i don't know so much like you said if it's chemistry but it's just being able to play as a team yeah and yeah not having to be the guy with the ball to break the press yourself, pass the ball. I, the one assist is just dumbfounding. I can't, I can't get over it. I actually I can't talk about the floor. Yeah. I don't want to discount, you know, the, the lack of chemistry. Like I definitely think it's an issue. 
it just hasn't reared its head that way until until last week against Florida. You know, regarding Ice's COVID year, I I he said this is his last ride in Stillwater. So yeah, I um, thought I thought so. I think well, he's done. I think that's a good idea. Love Ice brings a lot of veteran leadership to the team. He can get it going on pretty much all phases of the game, besides from really just the three point shooting. But he's able to fill up the stat sheet. But I think they've got they've got a lot of guards. They've got just a lot of players that they need to get on the floor. You've got Chris Harris, who I'm assuming is going to redshirt this year coming back. You've got to make room for some of these younger guys to get on the floor. They're going to leave. Yeah, no, no doubt. At some point, it's it's got to happen, and you know maybe the maybe the offense flows a little better. But uh, yeah, I think I think they'll miss him. No doubt, he's he's a spark plug at times. Moving on to your. Football questions. I think they're going to be fine at defensive line, don't you? At least size-wise, it seemed like that that was kind of the the topic you were curious about, right? Yeah, those are the guys who were playing who were playing the down lineman positions last season. You had Evers, you had a C. Obviously, you have Antwine there as well. But Jernigan was more he was more like an undersized guy coming in. So speaking of size, if you've got Evers, you've got a C. You've got uh, Samuela. I'm not going to mess up his last name again. You've got Aiden Kelly. You've got Colin Clay, who is a big dude. You've got Cody, Wal- Cody Walterscheid, Tyler Lacey. I think all those guys can play hand in the ground. We've seen them do it. We've seen them go up against guys, big offensive linemen, and hold their own. So I, I think they'll be fine there. Yeah, I do too. Um, and, you know, lastly, you asked about Thomas Harper. I've got confidence in him. I th- think he's young. I think he every, – everybody that's grown up, you know, even the Jason Taylors, like, have, have made some head-scratching plays at times until they reach that kind of new level. I, I, Thomas Harper's a great athlete, so I got, I got no issue. A freak athlete. I got no issue with him back there. I think he'll figure it out. I agree with you. You could see at times last season he looked a little out of place. But yeah, definitely. He was always hustling. He hits hard. He's very aggressive, maybe too aggressive sometimes in coverage with his hands, but I like that. Yeah, and I do too. What you mentioned, his athleticism, if you've ever watched his high school, please go watch his high school tape if you haven't, because I I don't know if there's one thing he didn't do on the field. Yeah. He, so I, I think I think we're fine there as well. Alex, thank you for the question. Keep doing that. Keep sending them in. All right. Uh, familiar voice here. Hey guys, who is the most disappointing sophomore on the Oklahoma State basketball team, and why is it M.A. Moncrief? Oh, gosh. Jake. <laughs> Shots fired, man. Uh, Jake coming in. Jake coming in hot. I did I, – I was talking to uh, our buddy. He's on the pistols firing chamber for him, B-God. He's, uh, he, he knows a lot about basketball. Some would but, say he's the GOAT, right? Yes, B-God the GOAT. We were talking to him – I was talking to him, just having a little short conversation about Moncrief's team defense. And I, I brought up the fact that he looks lost a lot in both man and zone more as not an on ball defender in man, but as a help defender and in zone, just kind of in his zone flowing with the team defense and B got had similar thoughts and saying, that's why he thought kind of recently when we talked about this, that that's why his minutes have never really gone up. And I think he brings a lot to the table. I don't love his ball handling, obviously, but it's it's just he needs to improve in a lot of areas. And I don't I don't love what I've seen from last year to this year in those areas, such as team defense. Yeah, the the development hasn't necessarily been there. I mean, you know, Jake, I poked fun at you for 
for the question, uh, but I think you're, I think you're right. It's got to be MA, but frankly, they've all kind of disappointed this year. Nobody point to one person who's been like above what you expected uh, consistently. Tyreek Smith. I don't want to trash on MA because, like you said, that's that's a great point. It's been it's been a down year. It's everybody's season. It's been everybody's tough. We're talking down. about pepperoni pizza. <laughs> right. Because there's nothing else to talk about. So yeah. anyway, I, I think MA has, has got a long way to go, but I think they all do. I mean, Rondell can't knock down shots consistently and they need him to. He's almost been relegated to a dribble drive guard right now. So there's a lot that needs to change. And MA is just really kind of the tip of the iceberg. So Jake, thanks for the question. Last one here. Uh, if I can get it pulled up from our friend Kemp. happening fellas it's Kemp I've got a, I got a baseball question for you today driving down the road and thinking about uh, cowboy baseball this spring um, they lose some known commodities and in, in uh, Incarnacion Strand uh, Cabinus Hewitt Alex Garcia Carson McCusker um, you know, obviously Incarnacion Strand was a stud at like 360 something like that average last year and then falls off from there in the mid 200s up to 305 or something like that in McCusker. Um, who replaces that production? None of those guys were necessarily elite, but we knew what we were going to get. Uh, who replaces that? Does it improve? And uh, does the hitting development uh, take a step forward this year? Because it's been disappointing. Thanks. Kim, thanks for the question, man. You can hear us furiously typing to look up the Oklahoma State baseball roster. <laughs> no, Kim, thanks for the question. And also impressive, I didn't know you could think and drive at the same time. So thank you for that. But I'm going to go, Cade. I'm going to go with my guy, former football player, third baseman. He can pitch. Nolan McLean. Oh, I love it. Big love time right handed, big time right handed power guy. I think I think he's going to bring it at the plate this year. I, I could even see him batting in that heart of the lineup, three, four hole type of spot. And then along with him, transfer, my guy, we've talked about him on here before with the blonde hair, Griffin Dorshing, just bashes home runs. Yeah. Bashes them. I, Justin Campbell is still the one that like, is so intriguing to me. Cause it's like, he has so much, you know, uh, there's there's fanfare there he was a big time recruit um you know i know he's you know primarily pitching but he's been at the plate several times there's got to be production that comes from somewhere and i think the two guys you mentioned there justin campbell's one i'd throw in there as well and i mean it's going to come from somewhere they've been developing guys uh for years now so you know and and one thing that we were just talking about off air as well we'll break this roster down here pretty soon before baseball season and, and really get to know some of these guys that, that we don't know yet. So Kemp, thanks for the question and uh, look forward to that podcast. Yeah. Coming up and, soon. and Kemp, that's unfair of me to take a shot at you and you can't respond. You know, I love you. And thank you for the question. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. Kemp. Thanks, man. Dustin, do we have any Twitter questions? Yeah, we've got a few. We can hit them. We can hit them real quick. Cause they're not, they were just kind of fun ones at most of them anyway. Uh, Matt Claxton, Matt's asked questions on here before. Thanks so much at road crew one. He said, what is your favorite Olympic sport to watch? Oh, that's winter. That's, Olympic a, sport, that's so. a good one. It's gotta be curling, right? That's what I was going to go with. It's cause USA, when the USA is going and curling, you got to watch and got to get jacked up. And I know it's weird to get jacked up for curling, 
But I, think that's my, <laughs> I get jacked I up love, for curling every Tuesday and Thursday, baby. <laughs> I do love all of the like ski or snow, like any of the like big jump stuff is cool. But uh, yeah, I, also a sport. It's not like super fun to watch, but one that would be cool to go do the biathlon. I was thinking biathlon too. I was thinking of the shooting. The one that, I I mean, I kind of grew up, uh, we grew up in in the Northeast for a little bit and um, I picked up a love for snowboarding when we were up there. So I love the the snowboarding events, the half pipe, uh, all that stuff. So uh, yeah, that's kind of it. And I'm I'm pumped for the Winter Olympics. I forgot they were this year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, they're all, they're always fun to turn on and watch, and it's. Well, Lord knows honestly, there's nothing like else on TV for us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I like I like the winter and summer, so it's it's always fun. But um, thanks for that question, Matt. So next we got Brian Metcalf. Brian, thanks again. Always asking solid questions at Brian J Metcalf. He says, and let me know. I might need to read this again. He also said he hated how he worded it, but you only get two sets of brothers to run the hurry up. Who are you choosing between the Presley's greens or Shetron? So I th- think you get two sets and he's saying you're going to run personnel with four receivers out there. So pick two of the three. It, if I'm going to answer and it, if you need me to reread that. No, I, question, I think I got it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Presley's and greens. Oh, that's and what the I reason was why say. is because you've got Brennan, you've got Blaine and you've got Bryson who are all known commodities. If you go Shetron's, you got two new guys. Talon's going to be great. Tabry's going to be great. But I'd rather go with the three I know, I think. Yeah, three sets of brothers. Because uh, Talon and Tabry aren't twins, are they? Or are they? No, they're – no, I believe uh, – I don't even believe they're actually yeah, brothers. Yeah, I right? think, they're, I think they're you're adopted. right. I think you're yeah. correct. Um, so I, I agree with you for the standpoint of – I think you got to have a, a possession receiver, which which Presley has you know shown himself to be. But I was even thinking Blaine Green. He – did a really good job in some of those hurry up moments, especially in the big 12 title game. Um, I, I would go Presley and greens for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Thanks Brian. Um, at Matt Hillis at M underscore Hillis 13, Matt Hillis. We kind of hit yours earlier. I think I butchered it a little bit cause he was, he was alluding to, or talking about Joe Bob moving to linebacker coach and maybe that making more three down lineman sets, but I mm. think the answer we gave earlier yeah. still kind of holds true. We think it's, we think the scheme may stay pretty similar there. Thanks Matt for that question. Um, Pistol Paul, he, he asked one that we might hit later, kind of talking about recruiting rankings and NIL stuff there at Paul tie too. We can come back to that one. Really appreciate that question. We'll take a look at that. He's talking about some rivals rankings and stuff there related to NIL. And then the last one we have is my buddy Randall, uh, at Randy D, that's me, Randall Dryden. He's got two. The first one is with Joe Bob getting promoted to linebacker coach. Do you think it's a step to him taking over as defensive coordinator after Mason leaves? And then his second question is with so many former pokes being coaches, who do you think would be the front runner to be head coach, O line coach, wide receiver coach in DC after Gundy retires? In Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Can I pick so, one of them? Yeah, so let's do let's take that first question first. Okay. And then we can go to that one. So I think we didn't even mention this earlier. And I actually had it written down as a note. So Randy reading my mind. But I think it is because I think Mason's not going to stay for very long. Joe Bob's going to learn more. He's learned from Knowles. He's learned from people that are there. 
learn more. And I think Joe Bob maybe is going to be the next guy if he doesn't. I hadn't even I hadn't even considered it. And I love the I love the thought process there. It makes total sense to me. And you're giving him you're giving him experience at a different position he hasn't been at. So you're moving him from D line to linebackers. I know that he's been involved in it all, so not a huge change, but you know, getting some different exposure, bringing in a new really experienced guy who's been a head coach that he can learn from more and maybe he just steps into that dc role i'd honestly be fine with it this is a little tinfoil hat conspiracy from from the feels like 45 pot i like it <laughs> I, I i think i agree but but Cade, yes hit me with your pick one and hit me with yours and i'll pick one okay can i just do who is set up to take over at oc because i don't know about head coach but i if i had to pick one because i can't even think of four like off the top of my head, I would go with a JW Walsh. He's, okay. he's kind of hanging around in the, you know, smaller schools, but he's bounced around. He's elevated himself. I think he is currently an offensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you, you may have it uh, pulled up, but anyway, I would go JW Walsh at some point probably makes a return. Um, that would be my, my guess. Hey, is he on staff? Did that happen? Uh, J- JW? Sorry. I was, I was pulling Here, up no, I'm, I'm looking. my guy to see what his <laughs> to see what his was. Like I think I, I might have fallen a, asleep and forgot he's a, he came. Yeah, he's a quality control. Yeah, he's yeah. a quality control coach at Oklahoma State. Sorry, I was trying to figure out what position he was. I knew he was at Oklahoma State still. Oh well, then there you go. I absolutely, absolutely, so, JW. I love I love that call. I was pulling up mine because I I couldn't remember what his title was. But Jordan Burton, prospect analyst for the linebackers, former oh, linebacker at Oklahoma State. I like State. it. I'm going to say way down the road. I'm going to say Jordan Burton, future DC. Okay. All right. Now, okay. Now that we're doing this, we have to go head coach, right? Yeah. Does it have to be a former player or can we just be like, here's the next head coach at Oklahoma State? In his question, he's talking former pokes, but I'm fine with you answering it. However, because we, we gave Randy enough there. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. We, we did our part. Um, Thanks Randall for the question, man. I don't know. Former player. I mean, you're, I think the options are limited there. I don't see a, you know, Zach another. Robinson? Yeah, Zach Robinson would make sense, but he's in, he the NFL. in the Super Bowl. He's in the NFL. I mean, he seems like he's kind of comfortable there, right? Yeah. And that would be I, I crazy. Agree. I could see it. That would be wild. That's the, probably the only answer I think you could give, right? Who was going to be your non? I don't know. I've, I've tried to think about this for a while and I need to, I need to nail this down. This would be fun to like, have a segment in the offseason like who's your like short list of the next <laughs> Oklahoma State head coach I would love a Graham Harrell at some point I think he's got to do a little bit more uh in terms of OC but I think he would be a good fit for Oklahoma State um at some point so anyway there's there's a lot of names there but I don't know if I want to play the coaching carousel game yet no well I love that I Really appreciate all the Twitter questions and the voice questions. Yep. This was awesome. We we will answer all of them that we get, and we have a blast doing it every time, so appreciate it. Yeah, there's a twinkle in Dustin's eye every time we get all these Twitter questions, so <laughs> I do appreciate it. It makes the show lively. We appreciate that you're a part of it. We love that you're a part of it. Um, and Dustin, I mean, I think that's it. We got a, a game tipped off. I've got it pulled up on my phone over here. Um, so hopefully Oklahoma State can get a win. What's your prediction? What's your uh, go-to on the game tonight? I think Oklahoma State wins after Ooh, that. I like after it. that press conference. 
Okay, you think the press conference does it? I'm yes. Uh, I'm, What's I'm, yours? I'm a little more cynical than you. I think we know this though. Um, I think they totally could win. Totally could. I just don't see them doing it. Um, I'll take Kansas State in this one, but uh, I will take the Cowboys at Bedlam this weekend, and I'll be there and I'll be loud. And it's an eleven o'clock tip, but who cares? Yeah, that's that's an early tip. That'll be fun though. That yeah. I'm jealous of that. No doubt. Okay, uh, before we go, I wanted to call out just two things really quick. We yeah. don't have to go into them. In the Circle podcast, it's a softball podcast. They had Kenny Gajewski on this week. Oh, nice. It's about an hour long. It's awesome. He talks about last season. He talks about this season. If you want to kind of have a breakdown of what the cow what the cowgirls are going to look like going into this season he really talks he pretty much talks about every position talks about the pitching staff talks about how last season ended talks about the future of the big 12 it's it's awesome it's called in the circle you i found it on apple Podcasts. but that's awesome great great interview there and then east west shrine game is going to be thursday night february 3rd so tomorrow night and our guy tay martin has apparently been dominating at the practices so Mm -hmm. if you can catch that i would because I could see Tay getting some targets. After yeah, how, some of the highlights. Practice. Some of the highlights from the practices are pretty amazing. So yeah, uh, not not shocking, um, but uh, good to see nonetheless. Dustin, two good callouts there. Appreciate that. All right, man. Well, let's get out of here. As always, follow us along. It feels like forty five pod on Twitter. I mean, keep it locked with Dustin's Twitter threads there. They're fantastic. It's <laughs> it's our weekly thing, and I'm appreciative for it because I learn something every week when you do it. So thank you for that. Um, follow us or follow Dustin at Destragu and follow me on Twitter at Cade Webb. And we will see you next week, hopefully coming off a Bedlam victory and a K-State victory. We'll talk to you then. Go, folks.